Our text this morning is from Psalm 66, 5 through 12. You'll find that on page 480 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes kept watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I don't know about you, uh, we don't amen very often here as Presbyterians, um, but let's, I just love hearing so many different voices read God's word. Um, and so you can say amen if you want to, you don't have to, um, or say boo if you'd rather not. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what is happening? Okay, I got it. Um, we are continuing in Psalms this morning, and uh, let us go to God in prayer uh, before we look at Psalm 66, 5 through 12. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for those that are here with us. Thank you for our visitors, those watching online, our folks on vacation. I pray that you'd bring them home back to us safely. I do pray that through the words of this broken human being that you would speak to us by your spirit, that there would be no distractions from the truth of your word no distractions from the glory that we owe you. And Lord, may we understand you and ourselves better from the studying of your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Psalm 66 is an evangelistic psalm. It's an evangelistic psalm. In fact, it's kind of an epic invitation to the world to see God and what he's done. It's bookended. We've already gone through some of Psalm 66 this morning. It's bookended with the call to worship at the beginning. We use that for our call to worship. And then, of course, a personal testimony of our humble approach to him. If you're still wondering uh, if you're going to see us sacrifice animals this morning, those are given to David and Kaylee afterwards. So make sure, remember, uh, offerings are pre-bled. Please don't bring them full of blood. Um, Just kidding, we don't do that. In case you're getting ready to leave, we don't do that anymore. Um, But this middle section, verses five through 12, um, uh, has an interesting focus. This is where we're gonna take our our, uh, sermon from this morning. It is truly an invitation to the world. It's an invitation to the outside community. Back then it was the, the nations, now it's those who are not part of the body of Christ. Uh, to come and see God. Look at verses five and verse eight. See who the invitation is pointed towards. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Generic humanity there. Verse eight, bless our God, O peoples. That's a word that means not Israelites. Let the sound of his praise be heard. And so, What the invitation is, is come and see what God has done by viewing what he's doing in the lives of God's people. 
in the lives of God's people. Now, this psalm takes some interesting surprise twists and turns, because what do we think? <clears throat> I've been singing too loud this morning, John. That's your fault. Um, uh, what do we expect? When it comes to the testimony of God's people to the world, we expect that the good things in our life are gonna speak volumes to the world. We, I think we expect that. We expect the healing of a sickness, our promotion at work, healthy relationships. Uh, we think those things are the things that speak the loudest to the world about God's goodness and who God is. I, I honestly think that's why health, wealth, theology is so attractive in some way to all of us because we think, oh, the more healthy I am, the more wealthy I am, the more wise I am, God's gonna look so good when people see my life. The better our life is, the more attractive God will be. Well, spoiler alert, okay? <laughs> uh, many times in life, many times in life, some of you may be thinking all times in life, do not go the way we hope or plan. Many times in life, we look at what's going on and it's just not pleasant. Now, the psalmist does not see this as a reason to mourn or to not share God, or to not invite people in to watch God work. The psalmist here does not shy away from hard times. He doesn't doubt God. He doesn't try to explain away the difficulty. Why not? Why not? Because according to the psalmist, according to scripture, according to his experience, according to what he knows about God, he knows that there is no salvation outside of God. And so if you look at verses six, seven, and nine, we see this exclamation or this proclamation. Verse six, referring to the Israelites entering the promised land. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Verse nine, who has kept our soul among the living and not let our feet slip. God delivered his people back then. He's delivered us now. God, through Jesus Christ, has the only answer to the true bondage of this world. That is Jesus Christ, God is creator and king. We talked about that with the kids this morning. He rules with providence, he rules with provision. He's the only thing that truly stands against evil in this world. He's the only hope for good. And there is security for the psalmist in knowing and believing this about God. There's security for us in knowing and believing this about God. And so because there's no other God and there's no other salvation alternative, even in difficult times, God is to be praised. Praised. And all these things I just mentioned, I think these are the things we expect to rejoice about. These are the things that we think would seem attractive to the outside world. We want more of that. But listen to verses 10 through 12. This is the twist in Psalm 66. Listen to the praise that the psalmist gives to God. I'll read it nice and slow so we can hear what he's actually saying. Verses 10, 11, and the beginning of 12. For you, O God, again, remember, this is an invitation to the outside world to observe what God has done. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Okay, we can take that one. Verse 11, a little bit more here. You brought us into the net, literally the trap. 
You laid a crushing burden on our backs. Okay, okay, a little more uncomfortable. Verse 12, you let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Okay. (laughs) Um, Listen, the psalmist is saying this. The difficulty, the difficulty of our lives, which we all have, reveals God's goodness and in that we rejoice. That's what he's getting at here. That's the plot twist. So let's take a look at these three verses more specifically. Let's talk, let's talk about what's being described here. So verse 10, uh, this idea of silver being tested. These are refining trials, refining trials. Uh, and one scholar this week I was reading says this about this imagery of smelting uh, or testing a, a precious metal. The imagery of smelting is frequently used in the Old Testament as a metaphor for divine testing and purification of the faithful. Through the heat of stress and suffering, quote, uh, the, the true nature of the faithful one or the unbelieving was revealed. Additional trials could purify the believer of those areas of sin or lack of dependence on God. And so silver, how was it tested back then? They would heat it up and melt it. they make slag. And then what do they do with the slag? They would scoop out the impurities. That's the image being used here. The psalmist finds reason to praise God in trial because trial takes out the impurities. That's what they're saying. God has a purpose in our trials. And in fact, I think it's comforting for the psalmist, comforting for us not to pretend that God's not in control. (laughs) If God weren't in control and our bad times were the times where he is losing control, how scary would that reality be? Instead, the nature of God's power, that not any moment, not any molecule of history or this world or our lives is outside his purpose, his plan, his control. That's what gives us comfort. So when we look at hard times, we have to understand that God is using it for a purpose. And the psalmist is telling us it's for our own purification, our own testing, our own refining. Verse 11. Again, you brought us into the trap. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. This I classify as breaking obstacles in our lives, breaking obstacles, events that break us, Um, inescapable trials. God is not unaware, and at times he guides us like a trap into difficulty so that we experience the end of ourselves. Now, uh, these types of obstacles are not special, not meaning, meaning this, There's not obstacles that we can handle and then obstacles we can't. Obstacles that break us confirm what we know all along, that we just don't have what it takes to do life. We don't have it. We don't have the resources for it. But these particular kinds of trials lead us to a place where we are desperate and we are forced to admit, I don't have it. I need something else. I need something else. Now, we resist Our human hearts resist this line of thinking. Think about our movies. I was talking with a friend 
um, this week at lunch, and we got onto the idea of, of Rambo, <laughs> uh, the movie Rambo. Think about why we like as a culture the idea of Rambo. He goes in by himself. He doesn't need anyone. And by sheer, sheer will and skill and, and fortitude, he defeats the enemy and comes out only semi-scathed. We want that to be our story. We want to be the Rambo of our lives. Imagine a movie where he goes in and he's just killed immediately. We would not watch that. <laughs> Roll credits. He, uh, and then just dead, okay? That's it. That's Rambo in reality. You get... Um, we're off the rails officially. This is why they called me here for the, to be the pastor. Um, but what a different take the psalmist has. What a different take we get to have by looking at this phrase. The, the psalmist is praising God for crushing him. For crushing him. By showing, for showing him his limitations. He's praising God that he is so broken in certain situations that he knows his true ability, which is nothing. He's so broken that he knows his only hope is his savior. We, we praise God for the situations that we find ourselves in when all we know is that Jesus saves. That's all we know. And the psalmist wants not only us as the church, but the world to see what a gift that is. Come and see how God has brought us into the net and laid a crushing burden on our backs. The beginning of verse 12 is the third kind of situation that we're gonna talk about this morning, but earthly defeat, earthly defeat. You let men ride over my heads. We went through fire, we went through water. Listen, we all know this, and we all can have this conversation for days. The world and its mores are changing rapidly. And I think we all think it's changing more rapidly than we've ever seen. I think probably every generation feels that way at some point, but we we see it for ourselves. I think it's also sobering to understand that it's not a given that God is going to revive Western culture and bring them to their senses. That's not a given. Now, we should pray for that. We should share the gospel. We should be active in in spreading the truth. But honestly, if we're honest, it feels at times like we're on the losing team. It does. It feels like that. The psalmist, and if you know the history of Israel and you, you see where they came from, how many times did it feel like they were on the losing team? How many times? Often it felt that way. And the psalmist right now in this, in this particular verse, the beginning of verse 12, is praising God for all the losses, for losing, for feeling like he's losing. Is this person a sicko? <laughs> is this person a sicko? But Grace, listen, I think this concept, we, we may lose sight of it sometimes, but as a church, if you've decided to make this your church family and you know what our mission is, this should feel at least vaguely familiar. What's our mission? Gathering broken people together, this idea that there is praise in the brokenness, that there's praise for God and the things that don't go the way we think they should. That's, that's what this church is for. That's why we're here, to, to say that that's true. That's true. 
And so what perspective can we gain? What perspective does the psalmist have that allows them to proclaim God's praise in the pain? It's in the end of verse 12. You have, you have, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Brothers and sisters, fact, God has his hand in our most painful situations. It's true. It's true. He's not a sadist. He has an intent for our trials. He has a purpose for our broken moments. He has, he has a plan for those moments where we feel like we're completely defeated. He's using them. He's using them to give us what we really need, which is more Jesus. He's using those moments to show us our incapability. And in our incapability, he shows us the, the, the one who is actually able and says, guess what? He's accessible. He's yours. He loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. He's using those moments to draw us closer to himself. And so the concept here, and it's one we've heard over and over and over again if we've been in the church much time, but the idea is this. If we lose everything in this world and we have only Christ, we have abundance. That's the concept. If we lose everything and we have only Christ, we have abundance. And the point here is this. It is pain and it is loss that reminds us this world is fleeting away and that Christ is our promise of satisfaction now and for eternity. In other words, here's what the psalm is saying. If my pain and my loss lead me to an abundance of what truly satisfies, praise God. If my pain and my loss lead me to an abundance of what truly satisfies, praise God. If you're feeling confused, you're not alone. If you don't like what I'm saying, you're not alone for multiple reasons. Um, but let's just take a moment. Let's just take a moment in the discomfort of this idea that God deserves praise in our pain. It's uncomfortable. And so we say, hello, prickly truth. Let's just let it be there. Let's not be angry. Let's not jump to judgment. Let's just understand and admit that it's uncomfortable. And then let's look to God and let him speak into it. Let's let God speak into this moment of discomfort. The question maybe we're asking is what could possibly, good could possibly come from bad? What makes testing and crushing confrontation and defeat, what makes it worth it? How could God ever use those things for something good? And so as we come to God, he reminds us of, of his own experience. I'm reading a book right now uh, with my Rambo friend um, called Extravagant Grace by Barbara Duguid, and she says this from one of her chapters there. Nowhere is this truth, this idea that, that good comes from bad, more powerfully and astonishingly displayed than at the cross. 
where the beloved and adored son of God was tortured and killed. God ordained something unspeakable and horrible for himself and for his precious son, the outworking of sinful purposes because they both loved what it would accomplish. Jesus endured pain. Jesus endured crushing trial. Jesus endured defeat. Think about what it looked like for the disciples for Jesus to die on a cross. It had to look like defeat, not victory. And so the good news here for us is this. If God endures this way, if God has endured in this way, then he understands what it means to endure. And if he's with us, which he is, that's a, that's a praiseworthy thing. And if God has endured, and indeed he did, there is no other savior, there is no better savior for our souls than the one who suffered for us and with us. And so there's, in this psalm, probably a lot more personal stuff to unpack, and I would encourage you to do that. There's a lot of things to unpack here. As someone who's been through pain, will experience pain in the future, has painful things now, as people who are here that have the same things, we need to continually unpack this idea that God's with us, he understands, his hand's in it, and he loves us, and he has a purpose for it. But this psalm is about evangelism. <laughs> it's about evangelism. It's about, about an invitation to the nations to worship God. That's what the Psalm's actually about. So we could get stuck in our own stuff, but there's other stuff to cover. The psalmist wants you to hear this morning that this is the power of brokenness. There is power in brokenness. There's something important for our lost brothers and sisters to see in our pain. Our pain, if we only present roses and whatever's nice, chocolate, fresh baby diapers, right? Whatever, I'm, I'm totally de derailing here. If we only present what is good, what happens when life happens after coming to Christ? Oh, wait, I talk, you told me it was going to be all good. There's power, church, in praising God in our pain. I'm not talking about doing it disingenuously. God's good. <laughs> oh, it hurts. There's truth in looking for the goodness of God in our obstacles. There's something eternal that lasts forever about praising God in the moments we feel like we've completely lost and will never win again. It's a good truth to remember that this is an invitation to the nations because these situations have nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with it. It's not about uh, putting on a happy face. It's not about proving how strong you are. These things in our life are about the praise of God outshining our earthly brokenness because we believe there's something better in it for us. Not physical health, not personal wealth, not any of those other things. What's in it for us is Jesus for eternity. And so like Paul says, the strength of God, it's most visible in our weakness. And what the psalmist is saying, that's also true as we share our brokenness with the world outside. And so what is the best witness we can offer the world? What is it? 
It is praising God genuinely in our pain and brokenness. Where does genuine praise and pain and brokenness come from? It comes from trusting God in his abundance. And we understand that, that God is what we need and Jesus is the only savior. And, and, and every time we meet obstacles and, and have pain, we're reminded again, all I need is Jesus. And we talk about that. And we live that life in front of our lost neighbors. That's the life that bears witness to who God is. The good things too, don't be an Eeyore, right? But it's in praising God in our pain and our brokenness. And so as we come once again, as we do each week to the Lord's Supper, it's a chance for us church. Not as a badge of honor. Yep, made it again, another week down. But it's a chance for us to give testimony to those who might be watching online or might be sitting around us or might visit in the future, that when we walk this aisle, it's not a badge of honor. It's not about an achievement we've made. It's about saying, I am at the end of myself and I need Jesus. I need his body and I need his blood. That's what I need. And so some of you are going to be walking forward this morning. You've had a wonderful day. Praise God for that. Stock up now for the painful times. Some of you are going to be walking this aisle and you've had the worst time. You can remember. The worst time. God is no less good. The gospel is no less true. Jesus died for that situation. He's with you in it. Come and be with him at his table. So this morning, what does it mean to come and eat? Who should come and eat? Those who believe they are not righteous, those who believe that they don't have what it takes. It's a, it's a testimony of weakness. Those who believe that the only refuge, the only place to go in our pain is to Jesus Christ. You've made that profession. You've been baptized. You are invited to come and give that testimony this morning and participate in the Lord's Supper. Those of you who deny God or deny that Jesus is all that you need, and there's a couple different ways that can look, that can either be an outright, I don't need Jesus, I'm not a sinner, how dare you, whatever those phrases are, or I do believe in Jesus, but I have a part of my life that I won't give to him. Either one of those, the Bible says, <coughs> use caution, <coughs> excuse me, as you determine whether or not you should come. And in fact, it says that you should not. And so this morning, we're gonna take just a moment. We're gonna examine ourselves once again, much like our time of confession. I'll gather us back together for a prayer of blessing before we give instructions and distribute the Lord's Supper. Take a moment. Father in heaven, I pray that we who are here have had clarity, that as we 
have determined, those of us who have determined, I'm coming forward, I'm going to eat the Lord's Supper, that it's from a place of desperate need. I'm coming because I need Jesus. We're found worthy to be invited because of Jesus. We're found worthy to attend the supper because of Jesus. We're found worthy to eat because of Jesus, because of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that this time, this sacrament, would be a moment where we gain even just a a millimeter of more dependence upon you. We need you all the time in every way, and yet we are still, no matter how old we are, still becoming aware of that need. And so I pray that this moment would be one of those moments where our awareness increases. Lord, we love you. We love you in our hearts. We don't always express it the way we should, but we thank you this morning for the blessing of the Lord's Supper. I pray that you bless this bread to our bodies, this juice or wine to our bodies, and that we would know you are here with us by the power of of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.